Next week on Let Me Be Frank, tune in for an important conversation on recent events and declarations coming out of the Vatican. But in the meantime, today, what a treat we have for you. His Excellency is speaking with Dr. Paul Kengor, professor at Grove City College in Pennsylvania and author of a fascinating, incredible book called A Pope and a President, story of the relationship between Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II and their teamwork against communism and the Soviet Union. It is just great. Um, So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, or keep us on the Veritas app on your phone. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. If you're enjoying Let Me Be Frank on podcast, help us out by giving us a five-star rating. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable, from seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you. Hey, Excellency. Uh, how are you dealing with the holidays now, huh? Uh, w- holidays? What holidays? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I desperately need a diet. It's just so <laughs> sad. <laughs> well, this is not the time of year for that. So Very true. Maybe, so, maybe thank you. You could be my spiritual director. I like that <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I... Uh, I, I, I wanted, if you don't mind, Excellency, I want to dive in because I'm really excited about today's guest. And yes, secret, of course, please. I'm a, I'm a secret fan of his because I've heard him um, on uh, on a couple of the shows, and um, and his books are just incredible. Um, and so, uh, let me get to the introduction. So today we're we're pleased to be joined by Paul Kengor. Uh, Paul is the senior director and chief academic fellow for the Institute for Faith and Freedom. He's a professor of political science at Grove City College, an internationally recognized authority on several subjects, particularly Ronald Reagan, the Cold War, and communism. And, uh, mm. and, and Paul has been nationally recognized for his work on the American presidency. He's the author of over a dozen books, including two that I, I really am looking forward to talking about with him today, um, A Pope and a President, and the worst of indignities. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to be great. Dr. Paul Kengor, thank you so much for being here on Let Me Be Frank. Well, Steve, it was very kind. Uh, good to meet you and Bishop Caggiano. It's great to be with you. And um, as my late great friend, Bill Clark, who was a close advisor to Ronald Reagan, would say, you're easily misled. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I, shall, I, shall, I shall try to live up to, to that introduction. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, Paul, Paul, I'm delighted that you're on the podcast <clears throat> because some of the topics we're going to, talk, particularly Ronald Reagan, um, is really was formative in my life. Ronald Reagan was formative in my life. I came of age just as he began his presidency. My very first presidential vote was in 1980, mm. and 
Um, and, we, and so I'm looking forward to talking about the man himself, his relationship with the Pope, Pope John Paul, II, now St. John Paul II, because it, it was just a fascinating dynamic, which you're an expert on. But before we do all of that, um, and I always ask this of, of guests, so you, you could be as expansive or as restrictive as you want, but tell us who is Paul, Ken Gore, and your journey of faith. How did you get to where you are now, if, is another way of asking the question. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I could do a whole hour just on that. Um, but but I, but I So I was born in uh, December 1966, actually feast day of St. Nicholas. And and I grew up. Uh, I grew up in the church in the 1970s. And so, as my uh, as as my friend Robert George from Princeton calls it, the dark ages of the <laughs> of, of the church. So it was. Uh, but but I but it was. So it was a time when catechesis was not really very good, frankly. And I um, I wasn't a very good Catholic. Um, my my late priest uh, here at Beloved Disciple Parish in Grove City. Father Mike used to say, um, "There's no such thing as a bad Catholic," and I'd say, "Father Mike, I was a bad Catholic. I was, I was a really <laughs> bad Catholic." So, so, so I left. I left the faith in college. I went to the University of Pittsburgh, where I worked for the organ transplant team at the University of Pittsburgh. A guy named Dr. Tom oh, wow. Stars, yeah, who who um, pioneered organ transplantation. We did about 90% of the world's organ transplants at one point in the late 1980s. But it was there that um, I started to come back to the faith really through evangelical Protestants and um, mm -hmm. they kind of, they kind of brought me into the faith. I mean, you know, I was a Christian, I was baptized, I was confirmed Catholic, but I really wasn't practicing. So um, that kind of brought me back into the faith and I became evangelical Protestant. Even at one point I became Presbyterian. I was hired by Grove City College, oh. which is um, in Grove City, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Pittsburgh, kind of right between Pittsburgh and Erie, about a half a half hour from uh, Ohio. And I was um, hired there in 1997. I became very interested. I'm skipping a lot of different stuff, so th this seems uneven oh. and unclear to people why certain things happen. Like I said, I could spend a whole hour on this. But I became, um, even when I was working for the Oregon Transplant Team, I was fascinated by the international events going on around me in the world. So the end of the Cold War, um, Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan, Pope John Paul II, Margaret Thatcher, Vaclav Havel, Lech Walesa, all of that group. And I, I ended up writing for my student newspaper. I was the editorial page editor for my student newspaper, The Pitt News. We published four days a week uh, in print, 40 to 50,000 circulation. And so I became... Wow pulled in different directions, my interest in pre-med and science and also the Cold War. And I became fascinated with history. Um, I think you went to Yale, Bishop, right? I think I yes, saw I that did. somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I believe you were political science as well, I think. Yep. Right? Henry Kissinger. I had Henry Kissinger as one of my professors. He only taught one and a half classes, but I mean, wow. theoretically, he was the professor. Wow. <laughs> well, at, at one mm -hmm. point, I so when I, again, I'm skipping things, but I ended up majoring in political science as well as biochem, biophysics. I ended up getting these different degrees and trying to decide where to go with my life. And at one point I said, you know, I think I feel that my call, as much as I love medicine, was in international relations, foreign affairs, uh, speaking and writing about the Cold War, the end of the Cold War. I ended up at the, so I went to graduate school at uh, American University in Washington, the School of International Service, which is a really top program in that area. 
I um, interned and got my first job, speaking of Henry Kissinger, at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS. Mm-hmm. Henry Kissinger was there. Um, Zbigniew Brzezinski. Um, gee, Madeline Albright was there. She used to make photocopies right next to me before ever, anyone knew her as Madeline Albright. I think she taught at Georgetown at that point. But uh, so I ended up going in that area. That's what I ended up teaching. And I dedicated my professional life early on to this this issue of how did the Cold War end? You know, who really was responsible? Most people credited, whether you're on the right, left, middle, whatever, everyone agreed that you know, Reagan, Gorbachev, Thatcher, the Pope, all these people, they all did it. They all played a part in it. So I really did a deep dive into figuring out you know, exactly who was responsible. My main focus became, in fact, that book, A, Bo- a Pope and a President, You'll laugh at this because you'll understand why we didn't go with this night. This title, it's a little clunky. We almost called it a pope and a president and a general secretary. But how do you fit all of that on in one title? Like yeah, I, I, exactly. So, so the main story was Ronald Reagan and John Paul II. But as people will notice who read that book, Gorbachev is all through it. And Gorbachev uh, just died in the last year, right? Um, Gorbachev lived to be 90 years old, 90, 91 years old. But that became my area of focus. Uh, I ended up writing numerous books on Ronald Reagan and the Cold War and the book A Pope and a President. We released that on the centenary of the feast day uh, of Fatima, um, May 13th, 2017 is when when we released that book. So that Mm -hmm. became a driving passion of mine. And in the process, Mm -hmm. all of this brought me back to the Catholic faith and above all, and I know you have a connection with John Paul II, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Saint Pope Pope John Paul II, his encyclicals, his writings, uh, you know, Splendor of Truth, Veritatis Splendor, um, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, uh, Evangelium Vitae, all of those things um, that brought me back to the to the Catholic faith. Wow! Yeah! Wow! What a great story! My goodness! So, for our younger listeners. I find this very hard to believe people were not alive when Ronald Reagan was president because that makes me very old. Yeah, but right. for, for, for someone who just knows him as an historic figure, describe the man. Let's start there. What was Ronald Reagan like? Sure. By the way, as a man? I'll make you feel really old. My current students were all born after September 11, 2001. So how's that? Oh, gosh. Lord Jesus. So, yeah. Have mercy on us. <laughs> so, yeah, so imagine trying try to teach them about um, when I first started teaching. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, when I first started teaching in 1997, it was easier, right? The Berlin Wall had fallen yeah. in November 1989. It was a little mm-hmm. easier. But um, but Reagan came. Reagan was born February sixth, nineteen eleven, in um, in in Illinois. So he's he comes out of Northwest Illinois. Um, he comes out of the same general area, by the way, where Bishop Fulton Sheen came from. And I even write oh. in the book how I I could just picture Ronald Reagan and his father Jack and his brother Neil. Jack and Neil were both Catholic. Uh, Ronald Reagan went to Eureka College. Eureka is right next to Peoria. Uh, Fulton Sheen's body to this day now is in Peoria. Uh, he he mm-hmm. started at that church. I could picture them. They would have driven right through Peoria. I could picture them stopping in the Peoria church circa 1920, 1928, 1929, lighting a few candles and maybe even bumping into this altar boy or young priest named Fulton Sheen. Right. So he came, he came out of that area in the Midwest. Uh, well, whereas the father was Catholic and his brother Neil became Catholic, Ronald Reagan and his mother were devout disciples of Christ denomination Protestants. Faith became a very important part of what he did. People never understood, even into the 1980s, how important Ronald Reagan's faith was to him. In fact, the first book that I did 
um, as Steve probably knows, was called God and Ronald Reagan. Came out in uh, February 2004, and that was a bestseller. That's what kind of got me known because everybody said, "Wow, we never, you know, we knew that Reagan professed a Christian faith, but you know, we thought maybe this was to appeal to evangelicals, the moral majority, the mm-hmm. Bible Belt." But wow, this is it, right? You really found this. This, you know, this, this was legit. So Reagan, um, from there, went to Eureka College, goes to Hollywood in the 1930s, the golden age of Hollywood. He became at one point one of the top box office draws at Warner Brothers. Uh, right now, hmm. um, you're Italian, Bishop Caggiano. I was telling you before we started, my mom's 100% Italian. I'm reading Frank Capra's autobiography right now. Oh, my yeah, gosh. The really great American, iconic Italian filmmaker. And mm-hmm. I was reading just last night that uh, he listed all the great um, actors being developed by Warner Brothers. And he mentioned Humphrey Bogart, Betty Davis, Ronald Reagan. Okay, R- Reagan was wow. Reagan was a, a great actor. People just chalk him off as ah, this B movie actor. Reagan. Everybody in Hollywood made B movies, but Reagan made a bunch of A movies. So that got mm-hmm. him really well known. And just as his career started to go, started to decline because he was focusing on the Screen Actors Guild, politics, labor issues, all this other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, his, his, his movie career did start to wane, but he went into, he went into, he went into television, the golden age of television, Ronald Reagan from 1952, 53 to 1961 was, um, MC of general electric theater, which was one of the most popular shows on television. Um, next to probably life is worth living with, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, (laughs) which knocked off Milton <laughs> Berle and Frank Sinatra and, and, and everything. It was, oh, gosh. Yeah, just amazing. In fact, um, Sheen was on the cover of Time magazine. When Sheen accepted his, um, not Academy Award, what do they call it for television? Em- Emmy Award. Emmy. Emmy. Yeah, he stood up there and he said, I'd like to begin by thanking my writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> right? So, oh, classic. So I, classic. Right, in fact, I had somebody tell me from the Northeast, where I know you're from, um, this is a Philly guy, kind of wisecracking Italian Philly guy. He said, you know, we think we're so cool from the Northeast, but the two greatest mm-hmm. communicators of the 20th century in America, Ronald Reagan and Fulton Sheen, come from like Midwest cow country. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. They did. That's exactly right. Right. Yep. So uh, mm-hmm. Reagan then goes in, and that made Reagan a household name, goes into politics, ran for governor of California, won in landslides twice, ran for president, and in 1980, won 44 out of 50 states against an incumbent president, Jimmy Carter. Ronald Reagan won the Electoral College that year, 489 to 49. Uh, It was reelected in 1984 by winning 49 out of 50 states, won the Electoral College 525 to 13. Ronald Reagan twice won California, New York, New Jersey, my home state of Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. The only state that he never won, oddly, was Minnesota, um, which mm-hmm. he didn't win in 1984 because Walter Mondale, um, the vice mm-hmm. presidential candidate, was from Minnesota. But Reagan also didn't mm-hmm. win Minnesota in 1980. Minnesota's kind of an odd, in the middle of the whole Midwest, mm-hmm. it's one of the only states mm-hmm. that votes Democrat. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. so he was enormously popular. And then he ended his two terms with the 1989, Reagan leaves in January 1989, and, and the Berlin Wall goes down. All those countries break away from communism. 
And it was a period 89 to 91 that the Soviet Union likewise disintegrated and dissolved with kind of almost formally uh, Mikhail Gorbachev on Christmas Day in 1991, picking up the phone, calling President George H.W. Bush, Reagan's vice president, and saying, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas. And I want you to be the first to know that I'm going to be resigning today as president of the Soviet Union. And that basically turned out the lights on as what Ronald Reagan called the evil empire. So this country that mm. was born, the so Soviet Union, October 1917, if you're walking through the cemetery of history, right? Born October mm -hmm. 25th, 26, 1917, died December 25th, Christmas Day. 1991, a day that the communists that tried to ban, right? It probably says, it's do so not amazing. rest in peace at the bottom of right. that. It's so amazing. May, may I just, when we speak about Ronald Reagan, I remember two things. The first, as he was just elected, when I remember turning on the television and hearing that he had fired all the air traffic controllers that went on strike, I thought to myself, this man is either a courageous leader or out of his mind, <laughs> one or the other, right. right? But it set the stage that he meant what he meant. Yeah, the Soviets felt and the that other way. was that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, that was, I was about to ask you. I'm sure the Soviets must have said, "Well, this man is not to fool around." Yeah, with, it's amazing right? that that domestic uh, action right there um, alerted the Kremlin. They thought, um, "Well," and, and and a lot of people don't realize. Again, they thought, "Well, Reagan, conservative, Republican, anti-union." No, Reagan headed the Screen Actors Guild. Reagan was president. Mm -hmm. Reagan was a lifetime member of a union. And it was because of that that Reagan said to his advisors, he said, well, the air traffic controllers, they're, they're in violation of their contract, of their agreement. You don't do that. Your agreement, your contract is sacrosanct. You stick with it. They can't do that. And, and so that was one of the reasons why Reagan took such a hard line on that. By the way, the day that he was shot, March 30th, 1981, he had just come out, out of um, the Washington Hilton where he was talking to the AFL-CIO. So, yeah. so he was, yeah. he was right. a union guy right. his entire life. Right. And right. for the Soviets, who were all about um, you know, the, the worker, right, the working class, the fact that Ronald Reagan had stood up to a, to a union like that was indeed an early sign to them um, of, of his strength. Right. The other is, you, you mentioned Fulton Sheen, you mentioned Ronald Reagan, the great communicators. Uh, this, And I'll, I'll give you a, a proposition, and Paul, react if this makes sense or not, but to be a good communicator, you need, and it's, it's almost a God-given gift, an intuition yeah. that takes a complex message and makes it into a very simple, simple terms that the, a person could understand and reflect on. So for example, if I'm not mistaken, if it was it was when he ran against Jimmy Carter, that Ronald Reagan at the very end of one of the it may have been actually the last debate said to the camera, he looked right into the camera, and said, "Are you better off now than you were four years right. ago?" Right, and that summarized the whole what everything he was talking about, and it was just one sentence. It did, and it, and it nailed it. And he also had this ability to do so with this kind of winsome character, right? Where, um, yeah. like, like right. I don't want to bring. Donald Trump and partisan politics is, but what Donald Trump always lacked was the ability to to say things in a colorful, fun, happy way that people would would mm -hmm. they would kind of zing his opponent, but uh, would make people go, Ugh, you know, okay, mm -hmm. that was a good phrase by Trump, right. but that was kind of mean, right? In, Ray, in right. Reagan's case, right. there, people would laugh, right? And you say, well, right. there you go again, 
right? And and there right, was just right, kind of a right. nice, sweet touch. And Reagan, I, I remember the first time I was sitting in the Reagan Library reading through different speeches. And I was looking through what they call the PHF, the Presidential Handwriting File, mm-hmm. where I could see actual examples of Reagan's input on speeches. And I'm flipping through one oh. speech, um, looking for, where's the Reagan handwriting? Page one, page two, page four, kind of a boring speech, page five. And then the call in the column on the right, it says, insert story here. <laughs> right. And then, and I thought, insert story here. And then I went and I got the actual formal um, printed in the presidential papers transcript. And Reagan there had ad libbed a story about, I can't remember mm-hmm. what it was, but his intuitive sense as a communicator was the audience right. at this point in this kind of policy speech is right. going to need a story right. to kind of re-engage them right. and pull them back right. in. Right. So yeah, that, if he was I, if good I made at that. This, he got that. He understood it. Yeah. Th- there's another principle, too, that I, that I kind of try to aspire to with limited success, I suppose. But um, there has to be um, – and I'm not sure how you, how you would describe it uh, – like a humility. There has to be an ability to laugh at oneself, even though this message is very serious – because it makes the messenger accessible. So for example, it was maybe at the second debate with Mondale, was that not the, the, the incident where he quipped about being old and how he would not use the youth of his opponent against that's, him? That's exactly right. Yeah, and, right? Uh, yeah, and also when he was an act, people would uh, say, well, how can an actor be president? And, and, and Reagan said, well, after doing this job for a few years, I don't see how, how you could be president without being an actor, right? And, 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 and right, so right. it was, you know, it wasn't like a defensive, how dare you say that to me? I'm qualified. He just turned away right. to, in a self-deprecating right. way, right? Turn right. it back on himself and then make everybody laugh, including his yeah. opponent. And then, and you made your point. Yeah. Exactly. Now, so let's transition. So the other figure, all right, is another tremendous communicator on the world stage was St. John Paul II, right? And they partnered in many ways through the period when they were both in leadership. So let's talk about um, St. John Paul II. And first, let's talk about his communicative skills and style. How do you assess him as a communicator, right? He was one of the greats too, no? He was, and really, I think a lot of it, the two were actors. Uh, they, They had both been, so Carol Voitiel was a stage actor, and, you know, acting was probably his first love. And, and Ronald Reagan was an actor who started on stage at, um, at Eureka College. Mm-hmm. And he um, first time that he did, a, he did a play, he was super nervous and then got up there and just thrived and thought, wow, I had no idea mm-hmm. that I had this in me. So, so both had that. And so they both also had this literal stage presence. Um, I, my friend Robert Orlando and I did, uh, did a book that the, the divine plan, which was a follow-up to a Pope and a president and, and Rob, Rob went to acting school. So Rob understood all of this. And Rob said in that book, and he said to me, he said, you know, when you really think about it, we interviewed Bishop Barron for that book too. I think Bishop Barron actually said this first. He said, you know, if you look at the Vatican, if you look at St. Peter's, um, it's, it's, it's an altar, of course. And he said, I'm not trying to say this in a sacrilegious way, but it's a stage as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's built mm-hmm. up. You look at it, there's an aura to it. And John Paul II knew how to move around on that stage, right? He knew how to kind mm-hmm. of fill that stage. And Reagan understood that too. Peggy Noonan writes in one of her books about watching Ronald Reagan, I think giving his farewell address. And she said, um, it was a beautiful speech. She said, he didn't look well 
and she was worried. He was a little pale in the face. It's January 1989. And right before he's about to, uh, they're about to start, and the cameraman says, 30 seconds, Mr. President. And Reagan all of a sudden stops and holds his breath and holds his breath and went, and she thought, what's he doing? Right. And and then and then about five seconds left, he went, Hello, fellow Americans. And she and she asked, what did he do? He put color in his face. It's it was amazing. an old actor's trick. <laughs> Hold your breath, put color in his face. And I've heard him say too that Reagan, that um, the most unnatural thing when you're posing for a picture that looks best actually in camera is to keep your hands all the way down. People try to figure out where do you put your hands? What do you do? Reagan said, just put them down on your side. It looks best on camera. So it was those kind of things that they both understood. Sorry, I'm getting distracted from your original question about John Paul. No, 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 but that's okay, though, because I'm, I was meditating. I could never do that. My <laughs> hands are an essential part of my communication. Otherwise, <laughs> they would be just silent, like a retreat. There'd be silence. <laughs> right, right. But, 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 with, uh, but, but again, to, but if I may, John Paul had the God-given ability to speak to a million people and every person received it as if he was speaking just to right. you. Yeah, yeah, right? that's right. And he had this warmness about him and his character and his temperament, mm -hmm. this likability, this natural likability that, that, again, Ronald Reagan had too. In fact, I think John Paul II uh, was the most traveled pope in history, um, certainly up until oh, time of his pontificate. Oh, yeah, and, no, uh, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. And the funny thing is, when we come back from the break, of course, I want to explore with you the relationship. What role did, did John Paul have in the fall of communism? In Because that fascinates me tremendously. But before we do that, just as, a, as a, a, an epilogue to the whole question of John Paul and his ability to communicate, I, I ascribe to this theory. And the theory is that John Paul was no stranger to personal suffering. He had a lot of it in right. his life. And he used it to create an empathetic heart. So he was able to, um, he was able to speak to the heart in a way where if you do it to a million people, but you're only addressing a million individual hearts. And I think it was one of the God-given gifts he had, right? That's right. In a time when the church needed it. Would you agree yeah. with that? Is that a fair Oh, I agree assessment? totally. And mm -hmm. in fact, um, one of the parallels with him and Reagan, they both came from families of four, where it was just uh, Carol Wojtyla and his brother. And uh, but Carol Wojtyla lost everybody in his family, unlike Reagan. So his mother mm -hmm. died um, almost at the same age that Ronald Reagan's mother almost died. And his um, his brother died while he while he was still young. Reagan kept mm -hmm. his brother. His brother did not die. Reagan's brother lived a long time. What, but when his father died, Carol Votiva's father in 1941, just a few months before Reagan's Reagan's father died, um, he he just sobbed and he said, "I'm all alone. I'm all alone." And that was right at the start of World War II when he would lose so many close Jewish friends. I mean, he was the only mm -hmm. non-Jewish boy on the, the only Gentile on the Jewish boys soccer team. He was the goalkeeper, right? So um, he had a lot of personal suffering in his life. And then he saw it when the Nazis came in and then when the communists came in. So yeah, he could really identify with suffering in a way that few others right. could. Yep, yep, yep. Great. More to come. Yes. Dr. Kengor, you're such a good storyteller. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, got it from Reagan. 
<laughs> so you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Dr. Paul Kengor, professor of political science at Grove City College and author of A Pope and a President and also of uh, his news book, The Worst of Indignities. And uh, there's more to come. Be right back after the break. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Bishop Caggiano is speaking with Paul Kangor about um, Ronald Reagan and John Paul II. And so I'm going to turn it right over. It's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, my question is this. What role did St. John Paul II have in the fall of communism, particularly in Eastern Europe? What, what's your assessment? It was vital. And when he was chosen as 264th, uh, 65th, um, heir to the chair of St. Peter in um, October 1978, uh, he first of all, he was shocked that they picked him. And, and it, in fact, he, he turned to now Cardinal Zhivich, who was uh, his close aide. He said, he said, uh, he said, what are they, what are they doing? <laughs> they realized, you know, the Pope is supposed to be Italian. It had been nothing but Italian popes for 455 years. And of all things for them to suddenly pick um, the first Slavic Pope ever and out of Poland, which had, which was the most Catholic country in the world other than Italy. Right. And to pluck him from right behind the wall of the Iron Curtain. Right. Uh, the one country where the communist war and religion had utterly failed. He said, do they know what they're doing? I mean, do they realize what they're doing. And Ronald Reagan said the same thing. Um, Reagan was thrilled that that happened. Just couldn't believe it. Reagan was already very pro-Catholic, Catholic father, Catholic brother who was a daily communicant. Uh, Reagan's ex-wife, Jane Wyman, had become a daily communicant. She was very devout. By the way, she died. Um, third order Franciscan nun buried in the habit. Uh, Jane Wyman was so devout that on the, when she did Falcon Crest in the 1980s, she put into her contract that a priest would be allowed on a set every day to give her communion. She became yeah very wow. devout. Brought into the faith with Loretta Young by Loretta Young, who was brought into the faith by Fulton Sheen. So all these different Hollywood co connections there. Wow. But they were, um, so 
Reagan thought that that was just the greatest thing because Reagan at that point thought um, I need to be I need to get elected president. I want to win, win the Cold War. I've got this plan to win the Cold War. Um, but how do we do that? Well, all of a sudden with the with the selection of uh, of a of a Polish pope. Uh, I, I mean, this was you know, Reagan talked about DP, the divine plan, divine providence. He used to abbreviate it, the DP. Uh, he, he said, mm-hmm. this has got to be, I mean, this has got to be what God intended. This, this is miraculous. So, um, yeah, it, it, John Paul II felt the same way, too. I mean, he very much wanted to, like Reagan, and unlike Pope Paul VI, um, Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, they all subscribed to kind of detente os politique, which was the Soviets are going to be around for a long time. Uh, Eastern Europe is part of their so-called sphere of influence. We don't like this, but we have to accept it. We have to learn how to have treaties with them, trade with them, learn how to get along, lessen the chance of nuclear war. Reagan and John Paul II said, no, you do that, you leave all of Eastern Europe under the jackboot of Soviet communism. We need to find a way to liberate these people, to reverse Soviet communism, not through nuclear war, not in a way that's going to lead to war. We need to come up with innovative ways to try to liberate Eastern Europe. And so with the election of Reagan, November 1980, the election of John Paul II, October 1978, Margaret Thatcher comes in in between. And then um, and then later Gorbachev coming in in the beginning of the second Reagan term, March 1985. All of these factors, this confluence of factors coming together, um, convinced them that they could work together to try to undermine Soviet communism and uh, liberate Eastern Europe. To consider the Soviet Union disintegrated and not a single bullet was fired was unimaginable. Unimaginable, yeah. And you and I being in college at the time, I mean, if somebody would have said to us in 1980, um, hey, listen to this. By the end of the 1980s, 10 years from now, Berlin Wall is going to be down. Soviet Union won't even exist. We, we think, oh, right. Lord, who 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 fired the first shot, right? Um, how many right. people died in the in the nuclear Armageddon? And no, 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 no. No one died at all. Nobody, nobody. Right. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And I would say that, that, the, that the shots, though, that were fired, and this was really pivotal, so March 30th, 1981, Reagan is walking out of the Washington Hilton. Uh, and yes, this young yes. man, as Ronald Reagan so charitably called him, this confused young man, right, is waiting there with a handgun, 22 devastator bullets that explode on impact, and, um, and, and shoots Ronald Reagan. And then about six weeks later, May 13th, 1981, the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. John Paul II mm-hmm. is riding through St. Peter's Square in his white Fiat Pope Mobile, and they're waiting with um, with a nine millimeter Browning concealed in his in his jacket. Mahmet Ali Asha pulls out the gun and fires and hits hits the Pope twice. And so the two of them, who had from the moment the Reagan won the election on November fourth, nineteen eighty, his team, his Catholic advisors, were reaching out to the Vatican. Um, trying to get the two together. So they wanted to get together right away in 1981. Well, then come those shots. Reagan immediately cabled um, the Vatican and wrote this really touching letter that said, no one understands as uniquely and painfully as you do the unique suffering that we both experience. 
So they they want to get together. Then then December thirteenth, nineteen eighty one. Um, solidarity movement in Poland is crushed by martial law, communist martial law. So that again delays them getting together. Finally, June 1982, they got together at the Vatican, the two of them, Reagan and John Paul II, uh, met for about an hour alone in the Vatican Library. And imagine this, Bishop Caggiano. So this, this American president, you know, non-Catholic, non-Polish, says to the Polish Pope, um, hope remains in Poland, in your country. The two of us working together can keep it alive. And and they both saw Poland and the solidarity movement and people like um, the, the great priest, why can't I think of his name, the chaplain to the solidarity movement, Jerzy Papayushko, right? They, they saw the solidarity movement as the wedge in Poland. If they could keep the faith alive in Poland, then Poland could be the wedge to crack, to split the entire communist bloc from top to bottom. Right. So they work together. And to if do I just may, that. just, and that's a labor that's movement. That's right, exactly right, a labor movement. So you connect with the unions, it's a labor that's movement, right? right? It's, it's amazing how that yeah, connects. Yeah, in, in fact, Lane Kirkland of the AFL CIO, who I think was a lifetime Democrat, um, worked with Reagan on the solidarity movement. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. and the idea of an independent anti communist labor union. In, in the communist world was anathema. It was unthinkable. And for that mm-hmm. labor union mm-hmm. to be pro-Pope, mm-hmm. pro-Reagan, pro-America, mm-hmm. pro-Vatican, mm-hmm. anti-Soviet, anti-Kremlin, this was just a nightmare to the Soviet Union. And right. They wanted to assassinate right. Lech right. Walesa, too. Um, they couldn't do it. And, right. and my book, A Pope and a President, what really convinced me that I had to do that book was I learned through Bill Clark, Ronald Reagan's closest advisor, and a number of other people that um, that it was, in fact, the Soviets, the Kremlin, that ordered the hit on Pope John Paul II. And they did it through, um, not through the KGB, but through the Soviet GRU. And those are the really bad dudes. That's the, that's GRU. Yeah, the I've GRU is them. military intelligence. KGB is political intelligence. The KGB greenlighted oh. it through Yuri Andropov, who was head of the KGB before he was head of the Soviet Union. Uh, but but they ordered the hits on on the Pope, and uh, yeah, that was and John Paul II when he was briefed on this by um, by the United States after we learned this that the Soviets were behind the hit, and I go all through this in a Pope and a President. John Paul II Bishop kind of shrugged and said, "I know, I know the Soviets did it. I yeah, know, of course." And, and they course. said, "Well, do you want us to you tell?" Know- it? And he's like, "No, I don't want I don't want World War III to start over this." What's done is done. Um, the fact it happened on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, the third secret of Fatima, communism spreading its errors throughout the world, as Our Lady predicted in 1917. He put it all together. He knew. He knew there would be. Yeah, of course he did. The interesting thing for, again, our younger listeners, um, the, when John Paul was shot and he was looking right up, he, that was the moment he realized there was no image of Our Lady in St. Peter's oh. Square. Wow. So when he recovered, he installed it, and it is there. It's the mosaic of Our Lady that is lit at night. So when you go into the square now in the top of the Apostolic Palace, right, there is the image of Our Lady. And every time I go back to to St. Peter's at night, because I like to go at night, it's a reminder of what happened in that square and Our Lady's great grace to have protected her beloved son, 
who was not only the successor of Peter, but the instrument of oh. her will, given the Fatima I never connection. Knew that. Right? I, I got to add that to the book. All right. That Yeah. No, that's yeah. really good. And he said yeah. one hand fired the bullet, another hand deflected the bullet. Right? And and yeah. at that moment, he goes down, and Jeevich is cradling him, and he's saying, uh, uh, marry my mother, marry my mother, which his father told him. His earthly father told him after his mother died, he took her to, he took him to see Our Lady of Chestakova. And he said, this is now your mother. This is now your mother. Mm-hmm. So he, he dedicated mm-hmm. his papacy to the Blessed Mother, totus to us, right? Totally yours, Jesus, through, right. through, through right. Mary, uh, Mary right. through Jesus. And, and he right. was, uh, when Reagan learned about Fatima, Ronald Reagan already knew about Fatima. Reagan knew about Fatima from his, from his father, from um, from his brother, his brother's wife. The the original movie on Fatima in Hollywood was made when Reagan was president of the Screen Actors Guild. He knew all about Fatima. Um, but he was, I interviewed at great length Frank Shakespeare, who was the second ambassador to the Vatican. And he told me about flying to Rome with Ronald Reagan from the G7 summit. It was in, a, no, it was in Venice. And right before, this would have been Reagan's third meeting with John Paul II, the one that hardly anybody knows about. And, and he said, we talked about Fatima the whole time. And he said, Reagan he was said, right. riveted, wow. riveted. Lots of questions connected to the shooting on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. So um, Reagan was fascinated right. by it. Right. Um, so there's, there's, of course, there's always rumor and gossip in the church. Can you imagine? <laughs> um so it, it, there's a rumor that there was regular communication between uh, President Reagan and and the Holy Father John Paul, like by phone and on a regular basis, they touched base. Is there any? Oh truth yeah, to yeah. That I document it all. I count up all the the, the, diff- the different phone calls, all the different cablegrams. In the book, I include. I'm saying this off the top of my head, but there, so I can't remember the exact time right now. But it's in the book. But there's a late night cable that went um, from the Vatican to Reagan. It's like two or three o'clock in the morning, and it's and it's still it's still redacted. And it says urgent message from the Holy Father, and it and it says the Holy Father says uh, you know, the colon, and then it's blacked out. <laughs> I thought, what's this oh, about? Is that right? What is this? Why is he? <laughs> what? What's going on? So I still haven't been able to find out what that is. But but yeah, there was there were many there were they met all together five times, five different occasions. They uh, Miami, the Vatican, a number of times, different places. And most importantly, there, there was a kind of troika. It was Bill Casey at the CIA, who was Irish Catholic, Bill Clark, the national security advisor, and Reagan's closest friend and advisor. He was like a grandfather to me. I became Clark's biographer. Um, he was at the National Security Council. And then it was um, Cardinal, not Casseroli, but, the, but the, the Vatican. Oh, boy, why can't I think of this right now? He, um, he was in D.C., he was, the, he was the third person. But the three of them would 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 meet Loggi, Cardinal Pio Loggi. He was the apostolic nuncio to the United States. And that was before he was Cardinal. Oh, yeah, I remember and, that. And yeah, of Casey and Clark would call each other on the phone between the White House and, and, um, and Langley, Virginia, CIA headquarters. And their code language, in case they thought their phones might be dog, uh, bugged, was, I think we need to get a cup of cappuccino. And that meant that it was time to go to the Apostolic Nuncio residence and meet with Loggy. And they would talk with Loggy, the three right? of them. 
And, and, oh, I want a cup of cappuccino. I think it's a great and idea. Went, and, and Clark said, <laughs> I used to ask Clark, do you have any notes? He said, no, the policy was no notes. We didn't want anyone to see this. But he said, at best, yeah, I might scribble something on a napkin. And then I would take it and I would pitch it. Right. But those three, um, Loggy, Casey, and Clark, were the conduit between between Reagan and John Paul II. I said, and I said, Bill, Isn't how often did you meet? He said, sometimes weekly, um, sometimes uh, a number of yeah, times. Yeah, that's what I thought. Week. So in addition to the Reagan-JP2 direct communication, there were those uh -huh. three all mm -hmm. the time. So it was regular, mm -hmm. constant communication, mm -hmm. always. At one mm -hmm. point, uh, mm -hmm. Clark worried mm -hmm. Um, got a cable from one of the guys, Nance, in the White House, who said, I'm worried that we're overloading the Vatican, that we're talking too much. And Clark said, no, you can't, you can't communicate too much. Don't worry about it. Keep the, keep the channels of communication right. flowing. Keeps the channel flowing. Did, uh, did John Paul officially visit the White House in any of his visits? I don't no, recall. not the White House. But he, um, they, the, I think I think the most important visit they had was actually in Miami in September 1987, uh -huh. and you could watch that online. Uh -huh. It's a it's a beautiful scene. Yeah, YouTube. In too. fact, mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. cover of my book, it, it, people ask, "Is that photoshopped?" Reagan sitting there talking, and John Paul II is kind of listening like this. And um, oh yeah, and Nan oh yeah, that's yeah. the classic classic exactly. pose. And, right. Classic. And Nancy Reagan told me she said. <laughs> She said, "That's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite photo of Ronnie um, with the Pope." And she said of the Pope, "She said, uh, oh, he was my favorite. He was my favorite.' You know, she said he was a lot like Ronnie. He reminded me of Ronnie." And she said, "That picture, I love because Ronnie's very intent and he's making a, a point, and the Pope is just listening." So that was really a key moment. And if you could look up online, you could see. The speeches at the airport when the Pope lands and he and Reagan, it's a very hot day in Miami and they're under a tent and the two of them are giving speeches and the wind is kind of blowing back their hair and both up. Those are beautiful speeches. Reagan's quoting Jacques Maritain. Uh, John Paul II is quoting the American founding fathers. He's talking about natural law, 1776. They're very kind of philosophical, political, you as an old mm -hmm. poli-sci, mm -hmm. Yale, uh, Yale poli-sci major would yep. love this stuff. Yep. So that was yep. a really pivotal yep. meeting. And um, and the yeah. other one would have been June 1982 at the Vatican. And the last mm -hmm. time they met was September 1990 at the, the Pope's um, apostolic, um, pa uh, what is it, off campus from the Vatican, the, um, oh, the Pope's private residence. Oh, uh, uh, Castel Gandolfo. And that was just Ronald mm -hmm. Reagan, Nancy, and John Paul II. The only coverage I could find of it in English in the Western world was a three to five sentence little blurb in uh, USA Today. Is that right? And almost scandalous, the really? lack of coverage. I asked Nancy Reagan about it. She said, um, oh, it was a wonderful meeting. She said, yes, we talked about the end of the Cold War, all those other things. Uh, but but and, and it was a wonderful meeting. I can't recall a lot of specifics mm. for you. I'm sorry. But oh, did I tell you how much I love the Pope? And I'm like, yeah, you did. You did. But <laughs> but uh, that was the last time. Right. So now, Paul, I have another proposition to, to, to offer and you can take it apart, tear it apart if you think it's crazy. Would it be fair to say that if there was one strategic tactical mistake that the Polish communist government made, and it was this, 
that they allowed John Paul to visit Poland. When he went back to Poland, it unleashed forces that they could no longer control. Is that oh, a fair absolutely. statement? In fact, when uh, when the invitation came and the Polish government accepted it, because John Paul II was asked, well, what's the first country you'd like to visit now that now that you're as as for your first foreign, foreign visit? He said, Poland. And they said, why? Well, you can't do that. I mean, that's just too provocative. And he pounded his fist. He said, we're going to Poland. We're going to Poland. And, um, and, and the leader of the Polish Communist Party got a call from Leonid Brezhnev at the Kremlin. And Brezhnev was bawling him out. And we have the transcript of it. I've, I quote it in a Pope and a President. Yeah, really? And he says, and he says um, how can you do this? How can you do this? And the, and the Communist Party leader of Poland said, uh, you know, this is Poland. I'm the president of Poland. He's the Polish Pope. How can I tell my people that he can't come? And Brezhnev said to him, tell him to make up an excuse. He's an intelligent man. Tell him to say that he's that he's gotten sick. It's like gotten sick. This is this is February. The, you know, the, this will be in June, 1979. How can he say now that he's going to be sick? And and Brezhnev said um, he, he said Gomolka, who was the previous Polish president, was a better communist than you. You're gonna you better not regret this, right? Well, they regretted it. All right, yeah. And he got there in oh, June yeah. of 79. Oh, yeah. Massive audiences, and that's when he told that group, right, from Victory Square in Warsaw, be not afraid, be not afraid. And it was at that moment, uh, Bishop, that the that the communists were so apoplectic over what happened that they said, not only was this a gigantic mistake that we let him come to Poland, we got to take him out. We got to, this guy needs to be removed. Oh, so you, oh, so those Absolutely. two were connected yeah. then. And I quote the December 1979 meeting by the Soviet Central Committee where they say, um, they try to decide what to do about this menace, this Polish Pope. And, and they, and they decide um, that he, that, that he has to be eliminated with uh, means beyond discreditation. In fact, SISDE, S-I-S-D-E, the Italian Secret Service Agency in the documents said that they believed that this document from the Soviet Central Committee um, called for, quote, the physical elimination of JP2, as they put it, as SISDE put it. So they think that that was the closest thing there is to an on-the-record, in-writing call for the removal of the Pope. Now, George Weigel, my good friend, says, oh, the Soviets would have never put this in writing. And no, they wouldn't have. And, and the And the... Language doesn't say exactly that. That is SISDA's interpretation. Um, but the document is about as close as you can see to them uh, getting close to officially authorizing it and putting it in some form of writing. Right. Of course, of course, communists being atheists would not have understood that when you attack the church, you strengthen the church. Right. When you try to undermine it is when it finds its stride and power. And of course, well, they wouldn't know that. That's what Lech Walesa could, said. Wal right? Lech Walesa said, "You know, you close our, you try to close our churches. You ban our Bibles. You don't want us to talk about Jesus and the Blessed Mother. And guess what? Our churches are full. Our churches are full. Oh, and yeah. uh, and when they assassinated right. uh, Blessed Jersey Papa Yushko in 1984. Oh my gosh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Which outrage, not just Reagan, but John Paul II, right? John, not just John Paul II, but Ronald Reagan." Um, that had a total backlash effect of uh, of strengthening oh, yeah. the, the faithful in Poland even more so. Right. Oh, I do remember that. It was horrible. Yeah. I don't quite remember the deeds, but it was just like a torture. It was terrible. 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 And five years later, 
Poland held uh, fair and free elections, June 1989, which had been called for promised at Yalta 44 years earlier, never happened. And the Mm -hmm. communists lost every single seat, every single seat. And Mikhail Gorbachev later said, when they held the free elections in Poland, I knew that was it. And and it was that in June 1989 uh, that really led to the breach in the Berlin Wall a few months later in November 1989. The elections in Poland did it. Isn't that priest now on his road on the road to sainthood? He is. Is he beatified? I forget. Yeah, he's Steve, he's you know? blessed. He is blessed. He is blessed. That's what I thought. Right. Okay. Right. He's an on incredibly the road to holy life. Huh? His, the huh? murder of Jerzy Papiuszko was brutal. I mean, right. it is. When I wrote about it in the book, it was. I mean, it was just a gut punch. It was. It was oh, hard yeah. to even it's get horrible. It. Actually, it, I'm. So, you know, I will look it up because I. Uh, you know, he really is a martyr for the faith. Right. So he really doesn't have to go through the two miracle process to be canonized. Uh, like yeah. Oscar Romero, uh, Oscar Romero was not either. He was a martyr. I mean, he he died for the faith. Yeah, it's good it's point. Fascinating. There, there mm-hmm. is a wonderful miracle that's attributed to his intercession. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but he was, and he was the chaplain to the Solidarity Movement. Yeah. So he yeah. was, you know, enemy number one mm-hmm. among Polish priests, second only to the Polish mm-hmm. Pope. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know this. Lech Walesa, when did he die? He he's must, still alive. He, he's the only oh, one of that alive? whole group that's still alive. Vaclav Havel's gone, Boris Yeltsin, Mikhail Gorbachev. Um, oh, but Lech Walesa uh, is still Gorbachev alive. died last year. Only Walesa is still alive. And he was very young at the time. Wow. So I'd have to look it up. He's probably about 80 now, I would imagine. Wow. Wow. So I have to jump in. I hate to do this because it's such a good conversation, but we are running out of time. Um, and we didn't even get to the worst of indignities, no, but we'll good. have to have you back. Oh, you come back, Paul, for that so, one. You come back for that one. I'd love to come back. Yeah. We're going to take one more. great conversation. <laughs> We're going to take one more break, come back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency has been speaking with Dr. Paul Kengor, uh, author of A Pope and a President. Be right back. Hey. It's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, here is... This week's listener question. It says, a family member has expressed interest in being cremated and made into a diamond to be worn by her daughter as a necklace. I see that the Pope has relaxed the rules on cremation. Do you think this would be acceptable? Simple answer, no, it is not. The the cremens have to be um, dealt with with dignity and to have a place of repose. The Vatican instructed that it is possible to take a very small portion of those ashes and put it in a place of reverence, right, in remembrance of the person. But the remainder, which is the vast majority, have to be buried or put into some sort of columbarium. So to make it into jewelry is totally unacceptable. Yeah, great. That was okay, easy. So- that question was easy in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> I might have even tried to answer that one. <laughs> I could have said anything you said after no. <laughs> that doesn't sound right to me. Yes, exactly. 
If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Dr. Paul Kangor, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you tell us where people can go and get your books and learn more about you. Oh, well, thanks, Steve. Yes. So uh, just go to Amazon for any of my books. Uh, Paul Kangor, look it up there. Also, I'm the editor of The American Spectator. You can read my articles there and uh, and sign up to, to subscribe and you can get my articles for free, actually. I think we have several a month behind a pay before you hit the paywall. So that's spectator.org. And um, yeah, that's, and, that's it. And, and, and your, check out Grove City College where I teach. It's yes. a great school. And your newest, your, your newest book is called The Worst of Indignities. It's about the history of the Catholic Church's relationship to, and fight against slavery through history. That's right. And that's so. published through Emmaus Road Publishing. Oh, yeah. And check that out because there's colossal misunderstandings about yeah. our church on slavery. Yep. Our church has been yeah. so great on slavery. Um, from the very beginning and far better than any, we were against slavery many, 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 many centuries before America and the Brits banned it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unappreciated history. Maybe. And, and I meant that seriously at a future time, maybe we could get together again. I would love to pick your brain sure. about that topic very much. Paul, thank yeah, you yeah, for being here and thank you thank for you, all Bishop. your tremendous Appreciate scholarship and, and shedding so much light on two fascinating figures, but particularly from my perspective, Pope John Paul, who is just a, a heroic inspiration to so many, right, in the church. Um, well, so thank, thank you. you for that. Yeah, Keep up the great work. Thanks. Excellency, thank you, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Yes. Oh, I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, in these days of Christmas, we give you thanks for the greatest gift we have received which is the gift of your son born into poverty, that we who are poor may one day be rich in the glory of heaven. May the days of the new year be times of peace, reconciliation, rest and joy for ourselves, our loved ones, and for all your people. We ask that your spirit bless us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Paul, happy right. new year to you. Merry Christmas. Happy new year. Same, same to you. Steve, same. I don't think we're together until after the new year. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Also, oh, have a happy, healthy Christmas, New Year's. I'll see you before Epiphany, though. Thank you, Dr. Kangor. Take care. All right. the best. Thanks. God bless, everybody. Bye.